0: Well, hey, welcome to church today. We're here together. Let's celebrate being together today, can't we? It's awesome. Am I grabbing this with me? Yeah, thanks a lot. They're hosting, our, I know our team's hosting a lot of people today, and so praise God our room's full. This is awesome. It's good to see everybody at church here today. Um, if you're new, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you've only been around for a month, you're like, who's the new guy? So uh, I've been gone a little bit. I took some vacation, which was Awesome. So some of you, I can see it in your eyes, you need to take some vacation. You need to rest a little bit. You need to take a nap. Once in a while, and we say this a lot, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is just take a nap and just go to sleep and, and just trust that God has got this. And that's really what this time was about for, for me and my family just to take a little break and and uh, just to kind of be second place to what God is doing and, and trust that He has all of this in His hands. And, and it was so good for my soul. It's really good just to rest. I've been in ministry for about 18 years now. And uh, just feeling like it 's time to to, to reset, and make sure that like i 'm doing things for the right reasons, and that they, that my soul is healthy and that i 'm not trying to pour out of something that 's empty but pour out of something. That's full, And so I was kind of curious about how it would go. Um, we decided that we were going we to just kind of visit some other churches locally and try to give some space because when I'm here, you guys, I'm on. Like I'm always thinking about what's going on here and what's the lighting setting going, you know, and, 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 and how, how's, this, how's the coffee this morning and, and how's the flow of the service. And so I just can't shut that off. Just tell' how I'm wired. And so we, we took a break, and here's what was really cool for me is that my family kept trying to sneak back to ACF Church. It was amazing. So they they just, they serve in ministries. This is their family. You guys are their community. And so I want to thank you um, for creating a culture in a community that loves my family really well. So I just want to, I want to say that from me to you. Thank you so much for being people that like, I can be just, my family loves to be a part of this, this church. And that I can look forward to just coming and being part of this community as well. And so um, just such a, such a blessing. And I shut my phone off for a month, which was crazy. You know, you can still do that. You can shut your phone off. You just shut it off, and your whole life changes. It's so good. No news. I shut off all social media for a month. I ran into a friend of mine in Fred Meyer, and we are just talking. He's like, man, what do you think about, like, Afghanistan? And I'm like, it's hot, sandy. I, what? And he's like, there's stuff going on. I'm like, oh, I got to watch the news. I have no idea what's going on in Afghanistan. But um, if you feel anxiety, if you're overwhelmed, if you're struggling right now, Um, you need to take a break from some things. I want to just encourage you to do that. Also, if you're new and and maybe you're just new this morning, I want to encourage you too, just as you look at this room, um, would you come to 9 a.m. or Wednesday night? Just by the way, we're out of of seats, which is a blessing right now uh, as the church is kind of coming back together. Um, We do church at 9 a.m. on Sunday, and then we do the exact same service um, every week, on uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. And so Wednesday is the first service of our our week flow. And so I want to encourage you to help us out with that if you can. Just continue to make room for people uh, to hear about Jesus here at ACF. And and also, just before I kind of move into the text and things today, can I just thank, and let's just thank together all of our amazing ACF staff who just serves you guys so diligently. Can we thank them? (laughs) Just, we, have, we have great communicators with people who love you well. and I think uh, Mason, who's our worship leader, he said it really well this week. He said, God has given ACF like a really deep bench and really good people to just pull from and draw from. And, and uh, this, this place really is, is not centered around a personality. Praise God the church isn't centered on me. Praise God. Like, he's, he's, he's got a team. He's got you guys doing ministry, and, and it's been so, so good. And so I'll, I'll probably take some more time off next year. It's going to be great. Just get out of here. Just come back and preach a little bit, and you guys keep running with things. It's so good. But it has been a really interesting season for the church, hasn't it? And I don't know what brought you in here today, but I was reading some research from uh, from Barna and some other studies that have been happening recently about the church, and, and I, I realized, like, there's really, I think, four different groups of people that are going to church right now. And I just want to go over this real quick before we get into this too much, because um, I think maybe you fit into one of these groups. The first group would be, I would call you the red hot and ready group. Like you are fired up. I mean, you are more excited about your faith, and what God is doing than ever. I mean, you like some of you, you will not shut up about what God's doing in your life. You can't, you can't help it because it's just so good. And man, you're just throughout the COVID-19 season. You realize how real God was, how real your faith was. Uh, you made some hard decisions, and, and God just showed himself to be faithful. And so you're like, you're fired up for Jesus right now. And that's some of you. Others of you, like, you're on the fence. Like, you're kind of sitting on the fence when it comes to your faith, when it comes to church. Maybe you're in a season of, um, as people are calling it, like the deconstruction. You're kind of pulling the parts and pieces out of your, your, uh, your journey with Jesus and, and not sure quite how to put it back together. Um, and I've, if that's you, I just want you to know, like, that's a legitimate stage of your faith journey. Like, you don't have to hit the eject button from the family of God to be in a season of doubt and deconstruction. Can I just tell you that? So if you're not so sure about Jesus, I just want you to know you're in the right church because you're surrounded by people who are probably struggling with their faith as well. And so you're kind of on the fence. You're not sure what you want to do. And, and honestly, like, as I'm just kind of reading about different groups of people right right now, people are choosing a church for a different reason right now. say than they were like five, ten years ago. Like five or ten years ago, when you would choose a church, it would be based on, you know, what do they think about Jesus? Was he the Son of God? What do they think about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? You know, what do they think about um, the end, the kingdom of God, and and what's coming in the future? And, And so we were choosing churches based on theological unity. Like, do I align with this church in their view of who God is? That was a key point. But now... I would say people are choosing churches based on ideological unity. Do they think like I think? And so it's less of like, how do they see the Trinity? And how do they view the Holy Spirit? How do they view Jesus? And more about like, is this a mask or anti-mask church? Like, when's the pastor going to talk about vaccines? Or when's he going to say, like, we should or should not? Or like, what's he think about critical race theory or Donald Trump or, 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 or Biden? Like, what does he think about all of these political figures and, and, and now we're, we're choosing churches based on different reasons like that, and so you're just sort of listening for the right reason to get out of here because you're kind of on the fence and you're choosing your church based on how you think, not so much about who God is, which I just want to say is, isn't healthy. It's not good for the family of God. That's not a good way to build a church. Um, there's another group that I would call the already disengaged. Um, that's, I, I kind of don't even need to talk about that crowd because they're not here. When when they found out that like they could get Sunday morning off and watch church online, they were like, I'm out. I'm on the QA watching church. Now, some of you, I get it, some of you are consistent. If you're online, like like you're you're plugging in and you're serving and you're part of the church in your own way, but but for a lot of people, you know, COVID just kind of broke the habit. And they're like, Well, that's not important to me. And so you're already disengaged. And the, the last group I would call the drifters. And the drifters are like, you're here today. And you're like leaning over to your wife and you're like, honey, God, I just hope this church is better than our last church. Like, I just hope this place is better. I hope the, the, the preaching's better. I hope the, the, you know, the, the worship's better. I hope they're, they're about better things than my last church. And so you're just kind of going from church to church to church trying to look for the perfect church. Um, I just want to break it to you. You're not going to find it. Perfect church doesn't exist. If it exists, if you run into it, run away because it's not real. It's not real at all. So, What do we do about this? Well, here's the deal. We are a mix of all kinds of different people. You have people around you who love Jesus, people who do not love Jesus, and they are here because there's a barbecue after the service. little plug for you, by the way. (laughs) Free food. So so what do we do? How do we we become a family? Well, we, we become a family by knowing who we are. And as a church family, the most important thing we can do is come back to what we exist to be. Not so much what we exist to do, but what we exist... To be And so when I was away, I was really praying about this. I was praying for this morning specifically going, God, give me some words for who ACF is and, and who you're helping us to become in 2022, 2023, in the years to come. And, and God, here's what God said to me. He said, I've already given you the words. And he's given me the words through all of you. As I talk to you and I ask you, like, why do you go to ACF? Like, why, do you, why are you part of this church family? I hear very consistent things from you. And so I just sat down one day and kind of opened up an Evernote, and I just wrote down all the things that you guys say we are. And so I want to share that with you. And so if you have one of these little cards in your seat, would you find one of these? And it's actually written on this card. You can maybe bring this home and put it on your dashboard or your card or remind you of who you are, maybe put it up on your refrigerator. But you guys, listen, this is really, really important. So if you're going to tune out for other parts of the sermon, don't tune out right now. Because this may be what makes the difference between ACF being a church that is a light in the darkness in years to come to ACF being a church that slowly fades away and dies. And I just want you to know this. As as I look around, there are a lot of churches that are slowly fading away right now. So I just just want us to know who we are, and so I'm just going to read this for us. You guys ready? One of you is ready. Praise God. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. And keep calling it out of you. This is who we are, okay? ACF is a community of the churched, unchurched, and de-churched who work to see lost people found, found people grow, growing people trained, and trained people mobilized. No man or woman centers us, but Jesus is at the center of our community. We are a generous family living together authentically on mission for the sake of the lost. We reject superficial relationships and choose to know others and be deeply known. We speak up about our faith and our church often because time is short and eternity is long. We seek to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in ways we, we may have previously been uncomfortable with because we want to experience everything God has for us. We use our influence to stand up for the marginalized and hurting in our world, breaking social, racial, and denominational barriers to build up God's church. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we are serious about Jesus." We wrestle and discuss cultural, theological, and political issues respectfully and honorably as we hold a lifelong posture of learning and discovery. Our vision and values are not driven by social norms or cultural movements, but by the Word of God. So our lifestyles are a contrast to this world. We give, serve, and love until it hurts. Then it's what we do after it hurts that makes the difference. We see discomfort as an affirmation of progress. We see criticism from the religious as an evidence of impact. We see love as a way of life. We care well for our souls, our bodies, and our families without becoming self-obsessed. We are each called saints, part of the global church, uniquely empowered for kingdom work right where we are. We will not relegate our own unique callings to anyone else. We are big thinkers, image bearers, mission mobilizers, miracle facilitators, and we'll bet our lives on what God is doing. But we're also honest, honest about ourselves. We make mistakes and we own them. We confess sin quickly, looking for ways to be accountable because freedom is worth feeling uncomfortable. Moving forward into 2022, we step boldly onto the field of battle, not with a sword, but with a towel and a basin. We as a church family will honor this sacred moment in time entrusted to us by God himself, living fully engaged with our church family, fully awake to the leading of God, and fully invested in seeing it be in Alaska as it is in heaven. This is who we are, church family. Amen. So here's what I know. Those are just words. If we're not empowered by the Spirit of God. And if we don't let God plant this deep in our souls, we will not have a purpose in years to come. So I, I believe this is what God wants for us. Again, I'm not coming up with this. This is, this is what God is saying through you. And so I want to stop right now, and I want us to pray and say, God, we can't be this on our own. Like, there is no way we can live this out on our own. Like We desperately need God today, dare I say, more than ever. So let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, um, we're asking for your grace upon your church. And God, we believe that as we move into this fall and into this next year, you are doing a really deep work, not just in us, but in the world as a whole. And Father, uh, we know that we can get in the way of that work. We We can hold tight to our sin. We can try to distract ourselves from what you're doing and just sort of disconnect from reality. But God, you are more real than anything this world has to offer. And you want to give us life. God, may we be as a as a church family, may, may we believe that that God you don't want to take things from us. You actually want to give something to us. You're a God of freedom. You're a God of liberty. God, you release the captives, God, and we just know that there's parts of all of our hearts that are still captive. God, would you free us up today? We need each other. I pray we wouldn't do it alone. Forgive us for trying to do the lone soldier Christianity thing. God, we need your church. You gave us a community, so it must be really important. And, Father, may we love each other in such a way that our city recognizes that Jesus is here. We pray it in your name, Amen. Amen. I feel like we could go home after that. I don't know. That's that's plenty for one day. But as I was praying about this morning, I, I just I wanted to take us back um, to a story. One of the most famous stories, one of my favorite stories that Jesus ever tells, and it's the story of the prodigal son. And it's in Luke chapter fifteen. If you want to find that in your Bible, you can do that, and um, you can find that text there. And just to give you some context, this isn't just a cute story that Jesus tells. In fact, I think a lot of people maybe misunderstand what this story is about and what it did. Because really what's going on in this moment of Jesus' life, as he tells this story, it's one of the things in the minds of the religious leaders that causes them to say, we need to get rid of this guy. It's one of the things ultimately that Jesus said that, that gets him killed. And as Jesus is telling this story, there's two distinct crowds that are, that are listening to him, and uh, you could describe them this way. You could say that Jesus is speaking to the religious and the rebellious, the religious and the rebellious. So he's got these religious leaders, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're like, "You are the most messed up rabbi we have ever met. Like you're just doing this all wrong." And and if you if you read verses one and two of Luke chapter fifteen, they criticize him, and they say, "This man welcomes and eats with sinners." rebellious people which this cracked me up like I was thinking about it this week and a while back I heard there was like a rumor going around about ACF church and the, the rumor I love I love what it was it said uh, people were saying that you need to watch out for ACF because we welcome anyone <laughs> yeah I was like that's so good uh, it's like the most encouraging weak attempt at criticism that I've ever heard in my life like ACF we're getting criticized because we welcome, and maybe you're here today and you're like, that's me, I'm the anyone, like, I should not be in this room today, but here I am. So this is what Jesus gets criticized for, is it's like he seems to eat with and welcome anybody. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, like the sinners were the lowest of the low of society. Like this was a whole people group known as the sinners. There were, the people could see them, like they were the, those who were outwardly rebellious um, in their culture, they were those who had physical deformities, and disabilities. They would have said, like, the reason you're disabled is because you have sin in your life or your parents had sin in their life. These are the sinners. Like, we have to avoid these type of people. Jesus seems to love them. And this is shocking to them. So Jesus is like, let me tell you a story, which is how you have to speak to the religious, because you can't just call them out. They'll just walk away. So you just have to kind of like, Jesus knows how to pull them in a little bit. He's like, I'm going to tell you a story and... And this is the story. This is uh, Luke 15, verse 11. It's Jesus speaking. It's kind of a longer text, but I think it speaks for itself. So just let God work in you as we read this. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat, which is what we all always wanted, right? That I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So I don't know if any of you remember the day that you moved out of the house. Um, I remember that moment. Some of you are like still making plans. (laughs) You're like, I got to get out of my parents' house. But I remember the day that I moved out of the house. I've been thinking about it for months, and a good friend of mine, Mike, uh, was a little older than me, and he owned his own house, and he was like, hey, um, you can move in with me and help with rent. (laughs) He thought I'd pay rent. That's funny. Uh, He can help pay rent, and uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll live together. It'll be great. And so, I just, I remember like that last day. I got all my stuff in my pickup and leaving my parents' house, and I'm like, freedom, right? Like, I am out. Life begins now. So I get to my buddy's house and I kind of move in, and I was the worst roommate ever. Like, ever. Didn't pay my rent until he finally hounded me enough to pay it. Like, I'd leave dishes piled up in the sink, leave my laundry everywhere. You know, I'd leave. I wouldn't lock the house up. Like, I don't know why. He put up with me. But after a few days, reality started to sink in. Remember that feeling? You're Like, man, I just wanted this, but now, like, I open the fridge and there's no food. I don't know. It's like magic back at home. I would open the fridge and there'd always be food there. And now there's, like, no food in the refrigerator. And I just know, like, growing up, my my family, we didn't sit down for dinner together a whole lot. Um, But my mom, at the beginning of every week, she would make a massive vat of something right? Like the big, huge stockpot of some kind of food. It would always be in there for me to eat, and now I had nothing, and so like like any single young dude, I'm like, I got to find something frozen, and so I, I, I still had my base dependent pass because my dad was in the Air Force, and so I went to the BX on uh, F.E. Warren Air Force Base there in Cheyenne, and I went inside there, and I'm going through the freezer section, and I found that they had Totino's pizzas for 25 cents a piece, like This was a gold mine. It's like the welfare system for young troops or something. Like they're 25 cents a piece. You know, this is amazing. So I I got like 30 Totino's pizzas and filled up the freezer. And I don't know, after a month of eating nothing but Doritos and Totino's pizzas and Mountain Dew, I was just sick, you know. And dreaming, dreaming of going back home to my mother's cooking, dreaming of, being in a place where like I'd put something on the floor and then I'd walk away and it'd be like in the laundry that later that night. Like this, is just, there was just something about that house. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And, and I don't know if you remember that feeling of you got what you always wanted and it wasn't what you thought it would be. This is the story of that journey for this younger son. And Um, This is, again, a really powerful story. A lot of people have told this story. If you're not from a church background, you might know the story of the prodigal son, or maybe have used that phrase before. In fact, uh, Rembrandt famously painted a painting of this moment. And uh, this is one of his most famous paintings. You've got the father embracing the son. You have three other characters. There's some debate about who they are, but they're kind of looking on with uh, satisfaction, as this son has come home. And and this was one of the most influential paintings of Rembrandt's career because we see other paintings that were inspired by this painting. And so really, really big deal. But something about this story must have struck his heart. Like in a deep way, there's something about the father receiving the son that touched him. And so again, we have two specific sons. And again, two specific crowds that Jesus is talking to. The religious and the rebellious. And so like any story, Jesus isn't just telling a story to impress his buddies. This story has a point. And when we read a story from Jesus, we're always asking ourselves, who am I in the story? And so I want to encourage you as we go on to ask yourself a really important question. Which son are you? Which son are you in the story? Do you lean more towards the religious or do you sort of live like a rebellious son. And so the story begins, the, the, the younger son, he sees that his father has lots of money. So the father in the story, if you haven't figured out, represents God. And this father has planned really well. He's uh, built a bit of an empire. He has servants that work for him. He has money that he's saved up. He's saved for an inheritance for his children, which is a good thing. In case you didn't know, the Bible talks a lot about this. Proverbs thirteen thirty two says, a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So this is a good dad. He's not just even thinking about his kids. He's thinking about his grandkids. And he's like, I want to I give something to generations to come. So the youngest son knows that there's money that's coming for him. There's an inheritance. Only problem is dad's not dead. That's the problem. So he basically goes to his dad, and he's like, dad, I have a problem. Well, what's that, son? You're not dead yet. And if you were, I would get my money. And I know that you're not since I'm not going to knock you off, best next thing is that you just give me my money. Which I'm reading this this week, and I'm like, so I'm a dad, I have three kids. If you're a parent, I mean, imagine that feeling. I mean, how heartbreaking would it be for your child to say, hey, everything that you've built for me, I want it now, and I wish you were dead. Now, if one of my kids came to me and said that, I'd be like, get out, right? Take a hike, not a chance. You can go, you want out? You have freedom to get out. Like, you no longer have a place to live. I would kick, this father does something insane. He gives it to him. He gives him the inheritance. Now, as we read the story, we see that this father has foresight that I don't have. He sees that there's something that this child has to walk through that that it's going to actually lead him back home, but it's going to be a bit of a journey gives it to him. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Sometimes God gives us what we want to leave us unsatisfied. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted and still thirsted, still wanted more? Man, I can just see this in my life so many different times. And, and some of you, as you look at your life, you think you're so blessed. You're like, man, I got the car I wanted. I got the girl or the guy that I wanted. I got the kids I wanted. I got the house that I wanted. I got everything that I want. You think it's a blessing, it's actually a curse. God's literally cursing you with everything you ever wanted so that you will realize it doesn't satisfy. It's never going to be what you... You would say the people with less are the ones that are less blessed. And maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe God is actually showing them who he is in ways that he's not revealing himself to you. And so you have this, this way of just going, man, I just want more, I want more, I want more. And this is how most of the world lives. We always... Always drinking, always eating, never quenched. So the son basically takes the money and runs, right? Goes to Vegas, like you do when you get lots of money. Throws it all out on red. And, you know, he's got lots of cash. All his buddies show up. And he's like, drinks on me, right? He's paying for all the drinks. He's partying it up, living the high life, like a high roller in Vegas. Hires some prostitutes. I mean, this man is just living whatever he wants to do in the moment, just whatever seems like it would feel good, and he thinks he's on top of the world, and then all of a sudden, a financial recession hits. We don't know anything about that, do we? This, money, this, this story, when you, when you read it, you're just like, this is more real than, 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 than anything, right? There's an economic downturn. All of a sudden, his, his money isn't worth what it was. The retirement portfolio isn't worth what he thought it was going to be, right? Man, like things are falling apart. His buddies all go back home because he's got no more money. They were just with him for the money. He's couch surfing, right? And the thing is, he wanted everything without having to work, right? Which I think we feel that in our society. There's certainly, certainly like right now, right now, there's a movement away from like a desire to work, Right? And this isn't a political statement, so just relax. But realize this, that like the idea of work is a good thing. It's a good thing. Like work existed in the garden before sin entered the garden. Do you know that? You know Adam and Eve were given jobs by God? (laughs) Some of you are like, work is sin. No, no, it's not. It's not. Work is actually something that's good. We were created to work. They were created to work the garden and take enjoyment in their work. And if you know the whole story, that, that when Jesus returns and establishes His reign and rule on Earth, just like it is in heaven, when we enter into that kingdom, guess what? We're gonna have jobs. So, if you are hearing you like, I hate work, you are gonna hate heaven. So, I am just telling you that. Like, as God's people, we have a different perspective. We believe, like, man, working is good. We want to contribute to our society. We want to lean in in such a way that, that that glorifies God and shows value to other people. And yet, this, this younger son was like, I don't want a job, I just want the money. It's not the point. It's not the point. Now, what motivated him to act this way? Like, why? I think it's three important words. We've all said it, we've all thought it, and it's simply this I deserve it. I deserve it. And we've been in a season talking about generosity. In fact, uh, We've got Joe Sangle coming next week. If you don't know, um, Joe is a he's a financial coach for us, and you don't want to miss church next week. And we've got this class that he's doing as well because some of us, maybe all of us, need a revisit to our budgets after the last couple of years. Like Amanda and I, we sat down and looked at our budgets uh, just a, about a month ago, and I was like, I was looking at the credit card statement. I'm like, how many streaming services do we need? I mean, anybody else got this problem? Like, do we need 17 streaming services? Like, how much can we watch at one time? And so, just, anyway, this is going to be really good. High energy, great time together. But this idea of I deserve it is one of the major things that keeps us from, I think, being generous. Like, we're not generous with others because we've worked hard to accomplish what we have. And, and, And you're crazy if you think that I'd give it away. I've worked hard to get to where I am, even with God. Like, I am super religious. So, I mean, you're crazy if I'm going to give grace to someone who is not. And so this mindset, I deserve it, comes out in a lot of different ways. I mean, think about it. Like, what things do you think you deserve? Just think through your life. What things do I think I deserve, you know? Like, I think I deserve that before you get on an airplane... Everybody should be required to apply deodorant. Should be cross the airlines. Just like a real quick little speed stick and then you're on. Like everybody, imagine, it should be a better experience. I think when, when we're in traffic together, like it was crazy yesterday on the Glen, and I let you in in front of me, that I deserve a little bit of the, like, the wave, right? Just a little bit, a little acknowledgement of my deep generosity to let you into the lane. I think I deserve that every child should be pre-programmed to fall asleep at 7 p.m. every night. <laughs> Any parents in the room giving amen to that? Yes. just saying amen. It's a mama right there. Amen. I deserve it. Just remember when I first got married to Amanda, it was the first day that I was coming home from work to my new bride, and I, like, kicked the door open, and these words came out of my mouth. Honey? What's for dinner? <laughs> How many of you know that did not go over well? <laughs> She's like, I've been unpacking the house. I've been hanging stuff on the wall. Like, what do you think? I just sit around here. All, okay, okay. No, it's good. I don't deserve it. But there's the <laughs> I deserve it mentality. Now, you know, it's not healthy for you to live an I deserve it mentality because what, what happens when you do the wrong thing? What happens when things go bad in your life? What's the feeling? Well, I deserve it. There can be shame, right? You can destroy yourself with an I-deserve-it mentality. What about when you, the way you treat other people? When you have an I-deserve-it mentality? Here's the deal. People who live entitled tend to take all the credit or take all the blame or give all the blame sometimes. Either like, man, life's going well, so I must be awesome right now. I must be really faithful to God because look at my portfolio. Look at my kids. They're doing really well. Or... Things are falling apart. Well, if if it's an I deserve it mentality, then you you must have messed up big time. And this is how these first century uh, religious leaders tended to think of things in many ways. What about the way you treat other people? I mean, if you have an I deserve it mentality, then you sort of have a you deserve it mentality, don't you? Like what happens when that classmate sleeping around gets pregnant? You may not say it, but you think you deserve it. What happens when that coworker who's been skimming a little off the top, or you know, they're supposed to be working online, but you you see their Facebook feed and you're like, they're on the keen eye. How are they working online right now? And you're like, they're they're not actually doing their job. And then finally, their boss catches them, and they get fired. And you go, you deserve it. What happens when that unvaccinated person gets COVID, and you got vaccinated? And you go, you deserve it. It's getting too real in church this morning. <laughs> it's okay, I always hit both sides. What happens when <laughs> that vaccinated person gets COVID? And you're like, see, told you. you should never listen to the government. I mean, come on. So like you go, you deserve it. Man, it's, it's just, we have all been guilty of this before this son Man, I mean, as they're listening to this story and his life falls apart, all the religious people especially are like, oh, he deserves it. And then it gets real bad. He, he gets a job because he's like, I got to get a job, right? I got to pay the bills. I got to do something. So he gets a job, but it's only, the only job he can find is feeding pigs. So you've got this young Jewish boy feeding the Gentiles pigs. And if you know anything about pigs, you know, from a, from a biblical standpoint, pigs were unclean animals, so it's not just that they're, you know, they're kind of dirty and gross, but they're literally spiritually unclean. In fact, I don't know if you've seen pigs lately. Give me some pigs up here. They're kind of cute, too, a little bit. I don't know, like. And everybody's like, "Ah, oh, they're cute until you realize they're eating their own feces, right? Has anybody been to a pig farm? Any, okay, so you know if we had, like, smell-o-vision here, we'd be leaving the building because it reeks. It's nasty. You can shut that off. Pigs are dirty animals, right? It's just dirty. And I had a friend who had a potbelly pig that lived in their house. It was just repulsive. So anyway, it was cute until you, like, walked in, and if you had any sense of smell, it was, it was rough. But this is a bad situation. When Imagine you're feeding those pigs, and you're like, oh, that looks delicious. If only I could have some of what you have. And this is where the sun gets in. At that lowest of low moment, which may be where you're at in life right now, He might have come to church today like, I'm at that spot. I'm at the lowest of low moments. At that moment, he comes to his senses, which is what it takes for most of us. He comes to his senses, and he says, I need to talk to my dad. I need to go home. And he works on his speech. If you read the story, he's like, imagine him pacing in the pig pen. And he's just like, okay, so I can't just show up, and, you know, I I got nothing to bring. I don't have any gift to give my dad to pay penance for what I did. And... So, I gotta come up with a really good story. I gotta talk to him about what I've done. I I just gotta be honest. I just gotta show up and apologize. And so he starts to make his way back home. I imagine the anxiety is overwhelming. You see, this father had every legal right to have his son killed for what he had done, squandered everything, rejected his dad. It was disrespectful children were taken pretty seriously in the first century, it was a big deal. And he had every right to do that. So the son is literally taking his life in his own hands by going home to his dad. But he's going humbly. He's going with his head hanging low. He's like, I I just need to, I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to repent for what I've done. And as he rounds the corner, where's the father? Waiting for him. We read that the father is, it's like he's been there the whole time. Sitting on the front porch. Pacing back and forth. Praying that his son Would come home when the son rounds the corner, he sees his dad. He's been waiting him for him the whole time. Now, do you guys ever remember coming home too late and your father, father, or mother was waiting for you? Was that ever a good thing? Like you tried to do the whole thing where you kind of round the corner and come into the driveway and like shut the engine off halfway, coast into the garage, pull down the garage door, open the and there's mom. And she's not there to give you a hug. It's going to be bad, right? It's, it's 1 a.m. You were supposed to be home at 8. It's been way too long, and you will never drive again, right? It's, and so the son is fully, fully expecting a tongue lashing, at least. Probably some violence. Potentially, he's going to be killed. And the father sees the son, and what does he do? He runs to him. Now, what you may not pick up on, this is a really big deal. Because, like, we run all the time, but Middle Eastern older men did not run. It just was undignified to run. You would have not caught, even on a good day, a man of this age running. And, I mean, just think about, like, they're not dressed like us and, you know, pants. And, like, they're wearing a robe, right? So if the father's going to run to the son, he's going to, like, hike up the robe and it's going to be like, right? Like, that's just, I did it anyway. I told myself I wasn't going to do that, but. It's just undignified, as it just was. Um, It's embarrassing. Just running like that and, and willing to look like a fool because his son has come home. What kind of father is willing to look like a fool for a son who hates him? And if you haven't drawn the correlation, the question is, what kind of God is ridiculed, pierced, Humiliated, spit on, and crucified on a cross for a world that hates him. It's a loving God. This is a loving Father. Why would he do that? He explains it very simply in verse 32 because he was lost and now he's found. It's that simple. And if you miss everything else today, I just want you to understand the extreme joy that God feels every time one person comes home. Every time one person humbles themselves before God, cries out for mercy and grace, the absolute overwhelming joy of the Father to receive the Son back. It's literally scandalous. And as Jesus is telling the story, the religious leaders' jaws would have dropped. Because when they were like, oh, the son's coming home, they're thinking, I hope the father chops his head off, right? Like, I'm hoping this is just a brawl. I'm hoping that son gets what he deserves. And the father just embraces the son. Not only embraces him, he gives him a hero's return. Throws a party, puts rings on his fingers, shoes on his feet. This is the stuff of royalty, You know, when you come home, you know, when you cry out for grace, you know, you're welcomed into the royal family of God. That you're not just like a dirty son or daughter that's reluctantly welcomed back into the house, but you are actually one of God's children. That you are valuable beyond measure. This is what's being communicated. Now, some of you, again, you're like, man, I'm struggling with this. Can it be that simple? 1 Corinthians 13:5 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. This is the only way it could happen. You notice he didn't go through the list of all the things the Son had done. He just says, Welcome home. If there's love, there's no record of wrongs. And you say, but there's there's what she said. There's what he did to me. No, there should be. No, God, you cannot receive that person back home. If you're the, the religious person, you're like, no, my life's together. You cannot receive that person that easily. Well, Psalm 133 says this. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Right? This is the word for anyone who leans religious, who leans towards the side of man. God, you, you, uh, you cannot that, receive that person. And honestly, this son, this younger son, I'd imagine he was a weepy mess of tears. I'd imagine it was emotional. And this is the moment, I want you to, want you to get this, this is the moment he, he moved from an I deserve it mentality to an I can't believe it mentality. And this is the point, honestly, is as you look at what you have, it may be a lot or it may be a little. You might have showed up to church today in a nice new Beamer or like in an old-school Dodge Dart that was smoking on the way in. You're not so sure it's going to start when you leave. I don't know what you showed up to church in. But what if we as a people lived with an I-can't-believe-it mentality? Do you believe I'm part of God's family today? Do you believe he gave me anything? I mean, I deserve death and separation, but I'm welcomed into the family of God. So anything else I get is gravy, Right? Imagine what that would do to the way we treated each other. Imagine how we would treat the world around us if we had an I can't believe it mentality. Some of you are the older son. You're at church every single week, right? You got the Jesus fish on your car, on your bike, right? You got it on everything. Four-wheeler, ACF stickers and all the stuff. You got you read your Bible, right? You're leading some Bible studies, you're serving, you don't sleep around. You tithe 10%. You're trying to raise your kids in the Lord, taking them to church. For some of you, you see God bless the unrighteous, and it just infuriates you. On the other side, some of you are not the religious, but you're the rebellious. And you have this sort of like, man, God's grace will just cover it, right? If His grace is that good, then I can do whatever I want. And I just, I want you to hear both sides of this that God's grace is so scandalous, it's so overwhelming that you cannot encounter it and still pursue the things that you used to pursue. And so, on, so really, this, this text today is an invitation to both sides. I want you to think about which side am I? Do I lean religious or, or do I lean rebellious? Do I lean towards the side? No, I, I live by the book, and yet sometimes God blesses other people. Or do you abuse God's grace? Or as Bonhoeffer used to call it, do you create a cheap grace? You cheapen it because you haven't truly received it. You see, in the end, this, this journey towards being a church of generosity really comes from the fact that we have an extravagantly generous God. And here's the last point is that when we truly experience God's love, we can't resist being generous. We can't resist it. You can't help but give it away because you're so overflowing with the love of God. He accepts you, loves you right where you are. Like you just can't help but let go and forgive that person that, man, you've been carrying around that wound for way too long. And maybe today you're like, okay, if God kept a record of sins, who could stand? I couldn't stand. If God doesn't keep a record of my sins, how could I keep a record of anyone else's? Or maybe you're here going, man, I am the least generous person you'll ever meet. I do live a rebellious lifestyle. I go to church on Sunday and live like I've never met him on Monday. And I just assume every single week, like, he'll be waiting there. He'll be waiting there. God's just waiting for me. And I've abused the love of the Father because I haven't truly received it. We say this a lot as a church when it comes to generosity, that we as Christians, we don't have a giving problem, we have a receiving problem. It's not that you don't give enough to others. It's not that you're not generous enough, whatever it may be, financially or just by giving grace. It's it's that you haven't received enough. Because when you receive the grace of God, you just can't help but love others. And I have seen this in your lives. I've seen you many of you, re- reconcile with people that I was like, man, I don't know if that's ever going to get healed. I've seen people forgive and walk in life and liberty in ways that I'm like, man, I, I wasn't even sure they would get through that. But they let go. Guys, God wants us to live generously. Not because he needs us, but because as we live generously, we reflect to the world the extravagant love of the Father towards the Son. So what's your next step? I want to encourage you, would you pull out this little sheet on the bottom here? These are action steps. We do this as a whole church family every single week. Um, if you've never seen us do this before, it's just a, it's a simple way to take a next step. You can just tear it off. And uh, the reason we do this is because we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to be inspired and go, that was a nice little message and a little bit of you know, music and stuff and go home and live the same. We're going to text you. That's all we're going to do. A little bit of a reminder and just let you know we're praying for you this week as you're taking your next step. And so if you're here today and you just want to, man, receive the love of the Father, I want you to check that first box. i choose to follow Jesus today. To make him the Lord and leader of my life. Today can be your day. Maybe you're very religious and you need to get saved today. Maybe you're very rebellious and you need to get saved today. So maybe that's you. Uh, The next one is this. I'm asking God to help me understand grace. I'm amazed at how many Christians have spent their life in church and they still don't understand grace. I just promise you, you don't get the gospel if you don't understand grace. Grace is at the root of all of this. It's a grace that doesn't sacrifice the truth. It's a grace that leads you to the truth because in the truth there is freedom. Freedom. Maybe you need to celebrate God's grace in someone else's life. You're like, man, I have been upset with that person for a long time because they've got exactly what I want. And maybe today you're going to write them a note, send them a text. You're you're going to send something to say, man, I just want to thank God for all that he's doing in your life and tell you I am overjoyed with the fact that he is giving this to you. Maybe that's you. And then in the generosity, financial realm, maybe you want to seek feedback on your financial decisions from a trusted friend. How do you know if you're living faithfully? Well, sometimes you don't. I don't know if you know this, but we all deceive ourselves. I deceive myself, you deceive yourself. Uh, we have a lot of excuses. And so one of the best ways to find out if we're living faithfully is say, hey, give me some feedback. Now, the trusted friend, I want you to say, if you're married, shouldn't be your spouse. Like, honey, we killing it? Yeah, we are, babe. All right i have to buy another four-wheeler. So, you know, whatever it is, like, just, just know that there's some, there's some accountability. So I do this in my life. I have friends that know how much I give, the way I use my finances. They understand my financial portfolio, what, what we do as a family. And the question is, like, if you're like, I would never do that, the, the question is why? Is there something that you're worried about? No, not just anybody, not the checker at Fred Meyer, but just like find somebody that you know and can trust and go like, hey, are we being faithful right now in this area of my life? Because Jesus says that this part of your life is literally a litmus test to how much grace I've received. Like it's, it's, it's that important. And so just tell me if, if we're doing well. So I encourage you to take your next step and just drop this in the basket on the way out today. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us and we'll close in worship. Father, we want to receive your grace today and acknowledge as a church family that we all fall on one side or the other, that we might trend towards being more religious or more rebellious. Jesus, would you make us righteous? Would you transform our desires and our hearts? Once again, God, we can't be any of this on our own strength. We need you. God, I pray over all the words of vision that we talked about earlier, God, that you would plant those things deep in our souls. We believe that, God, the church is more crucial today than it's ever been. And yet there are so many things opposing what God wants to do in us and through us. So God, we just surrender to you. God, this is your family. This is your church. We trust that you will give us everything we need to accomplish the mission that you have for us. Got to pray for the man or woman today that just needs to experience your grace for the first time. That they would come humbly to you and envision you as the loving Father embracing them and welcoming them home. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.